Okay, everybody can take a seat. And the children are uh, dismissed to go with Pastor Becky and the adult volunteers. If you are a child and would like to partake, they're gonna do some really great, fun stuff today, a whole crew back there. And we are so blessed to have uh, the, even the younger folks here. Dare I say younger, right? We're all old here sitting in this sanctuary. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us today. As Pastor Jeff related earlier, uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and, and check in on Facebook or Instagram or whatever your, your social media is. Um, I've had a couple situations of people who have like watched our service and tuned in here um, who are like not church people at all, but that are kind of curious. And that's an awesome thing. You don't know who that might impact, who might tell you later, hey, I saw you guys worshiping online and be like, wow, that's interesting. And, and it's amazing that we can use this tool of technology uh, even to reach out today. So, um, so thank you guys for doing that and humoring me in that. So um, the last five weeks, we've been in this series that we've called Underdog, and we've been unpacking the book of Philippians, which is a great book to read if you haven't. It's just four measly chapters in the New Testament. Great place to start out. There's a lot of really encouraging scriptures in that. And if you have a worship guide with you, you'll notice that there's notes in there too that you can kind of follow along. If there's something that, that you missed that I said because you're, you're thinking about lunch or you're napping or you're just distracted, that's okay. And those of you guys online, it's also on the website too. So you can follow along. And um, I also want to bring you a note that at the back of that, there's a little section called the doggy bag questions that kind of appeared in the last few weeks. And that's just some questions for you to chew on. And so you might do that in your devotional time if you wake up early in the morning and just want to be with the Lord and spend some time. Or maybe you discuss as a family, maybe on the ride home or with your spouse or significant other. I encourage you to join us in that. And so we've been talking about this series of underdog where the underdog, the Apostle Paul, is under house arrest, and he's writing this letter to the Philippian church, it's about 61 AD, to a church that was really a church, a group of people who were underdogs, because they're being persecuted at the time, things are not going well, there's a lot of things going on, and so we've been unpacking these scriptures these last few weeks, and it's a very encouraging letter that, that Paul is writing here, and this morning, we are going to talk about something that every underdog faces, Every underdog faces, and that's this thing called anxiety, Ooh, worry, anxiety. We're also going to talk about something that every underdog desires, and that's this thing called peace, this thing called peace. And I think it's especially relevant as we look around at our, our world today, and there's just like, wow, there's like so much things going on, and in our community in our region, just so many things. Um, but before we get deeper into the nitty-gritty stuff, I want you to ask, I want you to ask yourself, what are you worried about right now? What are you worried about? Maybe it's a list, right? Maybe you have a, like you check off those things. You spent all night last night thinking about those things. Um, and if you're not a worrier, what are you concerned about? Right? We use, like, I'm not worried, I don't worry, I'm not worried about that stuff, but I'm concerned, right? I'm concerned about. So, what are you concerned about if you're not a worrier? And of course, some of those things might be irrational things. They might be irrational things. You know, your, your mama told you that you should not eat watermelon with the seeds in it, and yet you did, and what's gonna grow in your stomach? A watermelon, right? And you're worried about that. That's kind of irrational. It's not actually true. But, but the true story is that there are a lot of rational things to be worried about. 
Anybody notice that? Um, and, and there's lots and lots of things going on. And true, there's some unnecessary hype that goes with it. There's exaggeration and there's political spins. I get that. We're not going into that today. Uh, there, there's, there's things, of course, I'll give you a list if you don't have anything to worry about. There's things like COVID. There's things like Haiti. There's the situation in Afghanistan. There's North Korea. There's the economy. There's the environment. There's carcinogens in every single thing you eat, breathe, or touch. There's just lots and lots of things. But the most personal, debilitating sources of worry or concern, though, are the ones that hit closest to home. While we may worry about some of those big, broad-scale things, usually it's the things that hit closest to home, things like conflict. Conflict. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Conflict. Maybe, Maybe it's your marriage. Things aren't going so well, and you're, you're up all night thinking about that. Maybe it's a child or a family member, somebody in your family that you're worried or concerned about. Maybe it's a health situation that's going on right now that you're unsure of about what's going to happen. And, and we often worry even when we don't have anything to worry about, right? We worry because we're not worrying, if you've ever been there or not. Well, The true story is that there are a good number of those who follow Christ who also experience anxiety and worry. Just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that those things go away. And it can be debilitating. It can lead to apathy. It can lead to paralysis moving forward in life. But then we see in Scripture, we see in the Bible that that Jesus promises his followers two things that fly in the face of anxiety. Those things are called joy and peace, joy and peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus tells his disciples, peace, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then we see in the book of Philippians over and over again in the apostle Paul's letter, we hear him echo Jesus's very words of joy and peace. So what? How can this be, right? How can this be if we continue to experience worry, anxiety, and we shouldn't be, but then, then he's encouraging us and saying uh, th- that you should experience joy and peace. Why, why do we get frozen worry instead of experience the peace of Christ? What is it? Well, the key lies in just that, the process of being frozen, And so today, um, I want to look at a movie clip. I want to look at a movie clip that most of us have seen before. It's from the famous or infamous movie Frozen. Anybody not see Frozen? If you have, okay, we have a very strong hand in the back, a couple people. Okay, if you haven't, go check it out. It's super easy to watch. Just to kind of, you can watch it in the background if you so choose. I did on a bus trip once. Um, But but it's a, a scene from the movie Frozen where, The character Anna is in an ice storm that's caused by her sister. I'm not going to unpack the whole situation. You can find that out later. But she's turning to ice, and the only thing that can free her is an act of true love. And we all think that the act of true love is coming from this hunky guy called Kristoff. But he starts towards her, and then we see that Elsa, the sister of Anna, is about to be killed. And so Anna has a big decision to make. So watch this.
What a sad story. Anna, frozen forever, the end. (laughs) Never gonna build a snowman. Never gonna go with Olaf and Kvort around. You know, watching that, I was thinking, I guess we have to teach kids that life sometimes stinks. It doesn't turn out how you want, right? You all are laughing for a reason because as most of you know, had that been the actual end of the movie, most of our kids would be in therapy right now, right? Frozen would not have become a Disney hit as it was. Parents would be like, no, we are not going to see that one. Two, forget it, right? But we know that there's more to the story. He's happy, right? That's a, oh, that's okay. <laughs> of course, Elsa. Love. <gasps> okay, spoiler alert. We just, I should have given that before, right? But it's a happy story. It's, it's a happy ending. It, it turns out that when you run past the frozen scene, the ending is different, that there's this process of unfreezing and then they wind up unfreezing the city and love wins. But the point is this, is that where you stop the movie makes all the difference. Think about that. Think about that. We need to realize this, is that we are all movie makers. We constantly tell ourselves stories in our mind and that's this process called thinking. And we assume that these movies that we're making are true, but the key is knowing that the stories that we tell ourselves and where we stop them is not necessarily true. It's kind of like your brain is an organic computer and sometimes it gets hacked, that we live in a world that's broken and sinful. But the thing is, God gives us the power to override that and to extend the story beyond our circumstances. And this is not to deny that there are crises in the world and in our region and in our communities that we don't face and deal with. That's not to deny that. But we need to look past the thing that's immediately in front of us to look into the full story and the ending that God is telling. It doesn't end there. And so that's where Paul takes us today in Philippians 4, that he shows us that peace is possible. Peace is possible. Anxiety does not have to freeze us, but it depends on that we keep playing the movie until God's ending. And so he and the Philippian church, they could be frozen in fear and worry and anxiety, but, but it comes from overriding our minds And Paul gives us specific instructions, five practices that enable us to do so. So starting off with practicing that we stand firm in faith, standing firm in faith. Look at uh, Philippians 4 verse 1. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Remember, Paul is under house arrest here. He's writing to a persecuted church. 
but he's reminding them that God is not done, so stand firm, stand firm. And stand firm in what? Stand firm in what, you might say. The Lord in this way is his response. In, in what way? Well, whenever you see in Scripture, this is a little tip, whenever you see in Scripture the word therefore, always look before. Always look before. Refer back to the passage that came before it. And this is a passage we went through last week, last time, in Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21. This is the, the emphasis here, where Paul says, but our citizenship is in where? Heaven. Heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's saying, stand firm in your faith in Christ. He's saying, trust God to resurrect. Think about that. Trust God to resurrect in his way and in his time. See, so many people, so many people give up or or drift or, or our lives are determined by the immediate and the urgent. And that kind of life never experiences the peace of Christ. Instead, it's frozen it's frozen in anxiety and worry. And others, others may stand on what ultimately will not hold the weight of their lives. It's kind of like standing on ice, on thin ice. It looks like it should hold you, but you go out a little bit too far and boom, it falls through. Things that appear solid, the world tells us are solid. Things like, like houses and 401ks. Things like a spouse. Ooh, dare I say, like your spouse, you know, you complete me. That's not the case at all. Things that we buy or purchase. Even goals sometimes can be those things that that fall through in life. See, we soon learn at one point or another that those things are not solid enough to anchor our lives on them. And Paul is saying, instead, build your foundation, your whole purpose and meaning on life. Build on the solid foundation of Christ and stand firm there. Don't let that go. Don't, don't stand firm on the past scenes from your story or the pressing thing right in front of you or what everybody else is doing or an achievement or even a, something that makes you feel good in the moment. He's saying, no, practice standing firm in the faith and it involves practice. But then he goes on and says, gives us another practice and that practice is the practice of harmony. The practice of harmony. So look at Philippians 4, 2 through 3. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. He says, practice harmony. We have to practice harmony, believe it or not. But, but you can't truly, truly and fully live in the peace of Christ until we live in peace with one another. You can't live in peace in, with Christ and be totally at war with everybody else around you and fighting all the time. And we see Yodia, Yodia and Syntyche. Yeah, Syntyche. There are two female leaders in the Philippian church, and Paul apparently knows them really well. Uh, ironically, get this, their names in Greek mean success and lucky. But they're not bringing that, right? They're not bringing that. Instead, they're bringing conflict. Conflict. And, and just a little side note here, folks. Conflict isn't bad. Conflict is not a bad thing. It's actually a natural piece of relationships and, and even strengthening. It can be a healthy thing. It helps in the process of forming deeper relationships. But their conflict is impeding the witness of the church. 
Everybody's looking around at them and saying, what's going on there? Oh my gosh. Like, it's, like all of our time and energy is invested in what's going on. So Paul calls them out in that. And that's the reason. He's not saying conflict is bad. He's saying the way you're doing it is not working. And so he instructs a third party to help them resolve it. And so when we find ourselves in conflict, it's important to kind of follow what, what Paul is saying here and even what Jesus says in Matthew 18. First, if you have a conflict with somebody, go to that person. Go to that person. Don't talk to your friend. Don't text so-and-so. Don't give them a call. Go right directly to that person and say, hey, you know what? Can we talk about this? Like there's an issue here, maybe they don't realize it, maybe they do realize it, but go directly to that person. And then the second step in that process is then, if that does not resolve it, then bring in a neutral third party. And so that's, that's how good instructions for us, but it, it's a means of also practicing harmony. Harmony. If you're a musician, it means it sounds good together, Right? unless you kind of have a bad harmony or an off harmony. A harmony means that, that there's a sense of completeness. If you've ever played piano or took guitar lessons, you know that there's certain things called chords that our musicians have been playing. And it's a sense of completeness of notes that align with one another to bring a sense of completeness. And you and I, we need people in our lives like that. We need people in our lives who work with us to complete something bigger and we're willing to walk through life with. And that's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of the church. Do you know the church is called the body of Christ, but it's really that, this idea that we are a giant Jesus. Think about it. You have that picture. Like, I, I thought of you know, like the giant Jesus walking through like, the city he's going to come through, but, but it's not like that. We are a giant Jesus. We are an expression of Jesus to the world and to our neighborhoods and to our community that we come together because we have those relationships. It's not just about attending something, but it's about, it's about relationships and being a part of something bigger. And, and dare I say, here at Table Life Church, I, I think, I would hope you would agree with this, that I think we do a pretty good job on Sunday morning. You know, good worship, good, uh, so-and-so, okay, message, right? But <laughs> Sunday is not where the transformation happens. It's not. This is a starting point. This is a place of, of, of worship. It's through those, those conversations and the, the iron against iron. It's, it's the relationships. And that's why here this fall we're emphasizing this thing called table groups, our small groups ministry, for you to meet weekly with a group of people that you can flesh things out and hold one and other accountable and get to know the kind of life-on-life peace to practice harmony. See, because one side of wor- effective worry is this thing called tunnel vision. You know that. I've been there too. Is that, that when you worry, all you can see is this. All you can see is everything that's, that's right in front of you and everything that you are dealing with. But practicing harmony, it breaks that cycle. It's said that, that being in community with other people and even serving one another, it's kind of like God's Prozac. It dulls the worry down. It's amazing how it happens. You know, when you're like consumed, the best thing you can do is to go be with or serve one another. And so God has designed us that way, that when we practice harmony, we give his love away and it brings peace. It brings peace. But then Paul goes on and shares that not only do we practice standing firm in faith and practice harmony, but we also practice rejoicing. Rejoicing. And we have to practice it. 
He says in verses four to five, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Say it with me. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Practice rejoicing. When you practice rejoicing, it frames what you see. It frames what you see and how you see it. And I know that there's, there's basically two kinds of Christians when it comes to this idea of joy. You know, there's one that's like, don't you dare laugh or smile in church. Like, you know, don't, don't even lift a little smile there. Like, the world is broken. We're all doomed. Don't you dare have fun. God will smite you. God is after you. You know, you better repent. But what is that? Right? What is that? He's saying here, rejoice. Uh, it doesn't kind of jive here. That's like a story that's been frozen at the part where Anna is captivated in ice. But the second kind of Christian is one who sees more, and not necessarily like a Pollyanna view that, oh, everything is, in, you know, is peachy and fantastic. It's not self-delusion. But, but to say, yes, the world is broken, but Christ has overcome the world. Yes, life is tough, but as we sang this morning, God is good. Yes, there are bad things that are happening, but there's always something to celebrate and to rejoice. There's a favorite coffee table book of mine, and maybe you've read this before or seen this. Anybody seen this? The Complete Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. If you don't have one, yeah, I got some nods in the back. This is like fantastic reading right here, especially for the guys in the room. It's divided into chapters into great escapes and entrances, best defenses, leap of faith, emergencies, and adventure survival. It's a really good read. And it's interesting because it gives you all these certain scenarios you see on the cover. It's like, you know, what do you do if you get attacked by an alligator? Well, these are the five things that you should do or not do. But, but the motto that the readers or the authors that continue to say are the words, learn to return. Learn to return. Isn't it interesting? Learn to return. And putting that into perspective, we can rejoice because we know how the movie ends We can learn to return. We don't have to stop the story right there. And we rejoice not because of what we see in front of us, but because of what we don't. And that's where our faith is. When we choose to rejoice, to celebrate, we feel joy. And it's not associated with what's in front of us. It's something that cannot be taken away that we learn to return. Fortunate circumstances while they may make us happy, will not bring you joy or peace. Likewise, unfortunate circumstances may make us sad, rightfully so, but they do not have the power to take our peace away. That's an amazing thing. Practice rejoicing. What are the things that you can, you can find joy in? What are ways that you can celebrate? Instead of saying, oh, everything is going to hell in a handbasket here, you know. Yeah, true, there might be some things wrong, but what are some things that you can rejoice? It's a way of training your mind. But then he tells us it's also important to practice prayer. Practice prayer. And it's not something that happens by happen chance or to say, you know, that's not our usual go-to when we have 20 minutes extra in our day or a blank, t- or a blank spot. We have to practice prayer. This is one of my favorite sections of scripture where Paul says in verses six to seven, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to who? To God. 
Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Practice prayer. When? Every situation. Every situation. We, we pray about everything, and then when you give it to him, maybe you've experienced this before, and you trust that he is writing the next scene in the movie, that he will bring you through. And it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It doesn't mean we sit on our hands and sit on the couch and eat bonbons and say, whoa, is me, you know, God's gonna do what God's gonna do. No, if you can do something about it, if there's a part that you can play, then do something about it. But your prayer can be, God, help me to do what I can do, but to trust you to do what I cannot do. Help me to do what I can do, but Lord, help me to trust you to do what I cannot do. And dare I say, part of prayer is listening. It's listening, not just speaking all the time and saying, God, 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 I need this, I want this, help me with this. But it's also spending time in quiet and peace and listening. What What is the Lord saying to you? Maybe it's a time of just reflecting, listening for his voice. And sometimes when we do that, it's like, you know, you sit there like a couple of minutes and you're like, I don't hear nothing, right? I don't hear nothing. I hear like the clock ticking. I hear my watch beeping. I hear all that. That's why we need to practice because our lives are so busy and so noisy. We have to be intentional about that to practice prayer. And, and sooner or later, that still small voice inside begins to speak Maybe it's been speaking the whole time. It's just that everything else, your, your soul has been so wrapped up in so many things that it hasn't had time for that volume to go down so that the Lord's voice volume may rise. Practice prayer. But as he concludes this section, he shows us, though, it's very important to practice dwelling on the good. Practice dwelling on the good. That when we are allowing that movie to play continuously. When we're not stopping at the frozen point, we also have to practice dwelling on the good. And he says this in verses eight to nine. He said, finally, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of what? Of peace will be with you. Think about the things we usually dwell on. When somebody says, what are you dwelling on? Like usually it's a negative thing. So you're dwelling on something that you can't control or a situation or a conflict. But he's saying, no, 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 dwell on what's lovely, admirable, pure, noble, true, dwelling on the good. And each and every one of us knows someone who's always dwelling on negative stuff. You know, and you kind of get sucked right into it too. And, and, but, but focusing on only the bad freezes you in that frame, in that frame of mind. And of course, I want to say this, of course, chemical imbalances can make people anxious too. We get that. And if that's the case, definitely you should seek treatment. You should seek counseling. That's a real thing that's going on here but, but other, other times that we still get caught up in, in worry and, and anxiety, we dwell in those. And, and they have one thing in common. When we get stuck in the negative, they always end in tragedy. They always stick us. We get stuck in tragedy. It's that Anna dying at the end of the movie, being frozen. And not to be trite, but of course the world looks sad when you view it through a dark lens. It makes peace impossible. You have to practice 
dwelling on those things, asking, what are the things, Lord, help me to see what is noble in my life, what's pure, what's lovely, what, what, are, what are the good things, help me to see them. And it's amazing, because the mind is an amazing thing. Uh, Pastor Jeff here works a counseling practice out of our church offices here, and of course he's studied a lot more about the mind than, than I have. But, but it's just amazing to me about how we can, our thought processes, our thoughts can, can guide our perceptions and our actions. So uh, we're gonna do a little, little mind trick here. I want you to think of a baseball player. Whether you know them or not, you can just think of a baseball player. I want you to see them catch a pop fly in the outfield. And they, it's the game-winning pop fly. And guess what team they're playing for? The Philadelphia Phillies. And it is the World Series. And guess what? They have just won the World Series. And the crowd goes wild, right? Totally impossible thing in real life. But you just imagined it. I just described it to you. But you saw, isn't it amazing your mind can think of impossibilities, amazing things? What if you use your imagination the next time you feel stuck? What if you use your imagination to see the extended part of the story? What is God doing? What is God writing? That's why Paul says, dwell well. Dwell well. What if you practice the first thing you do when you get up in the morning instead of, you know, they say the first thing most people do is like pick up your phone, get put your glasses on, roll out of bed, go to the facility, whatever it is. What if the first thing you do after you do that thing, maybe put the phone down first, but, but you spent some time dwelling well, starting strong, maybe reading a, a short passage in scripture. Maybe it's just the book of Philippians, just read one verse Dwell well. Think about what, are, what is God going to do today to say, Lord, I'm coming to you today that you will do with this day as you will. Amen. Lord, who will you put in my path? Who will, who will I touch? Maybe you pick up the doggy bag questions from this week's sermon and you think about one for five minutes to start your day dwelling on the good, to dwell well and see what happens. It's a grand experiment. See how it frames what happens later in the day. You might hear the Lord a little bit. You might, dare I say, later on in the day, something might catch you from when you were thinking or praying that morning that it'll come up. And that's a way of tuning our ears. How would that, how might that unfreeze you? Because we're all movie directors. We're all movie directors. And where you stop the movie makes all the difference. And I like to say it like this. This is very cheesy, so you can feel free to laugh. Worry freezes, but Christ brings pieces. Worry freezes, or we can say, worry freezes, peace comes from Jesus. It's kind of interesting. When you, where you stop the movie makes all the difference. And know that my personal hope for each and every one here is that you would live a long and blessed life. And maybe you will but also maybe you won't. Maybe our world might get into a world war or maybe we'll be hit by a comet sometime soon, but even the worst possible outcome, if, even if that should befall us, we need to run that movie a little longer to know that regardless, it does not end there. See, we live in an era that desperately needs to know the peace of God and the story that Christ has promised us is a very, very happy ending indeed. That we would keep our minds there. We would have peace in the meantime because of that. Because nothing, nothing 
can take that away. And if for you, if that's the, maybe the first time, the first time in a long time you've heard those words, um, when we share in the Lord's Supper today, I'm going to ask you that maybe that would be a time that you make a commitment to God, that you say maybe yes to Jesus, that when you come forward to receive the body and blood of Christ, you would say, yes, Jesus, to say, I, I want that hope. I want that peace. I desire that joy, Lord. Help me to repent of my sin and anything that, that gets in between me and you, Lord, and I accept that full forgiveness and grace. Because those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, when we gather around this table, we're reminded of that each and every week. And that's why here at Table Life Church, uh, we, we say that, that all are welcome here at this table, no exceptions. Just as oh, in our forefathers, John Wesley, many, many years ago, he said, you know, this is a means of grace, that we don't do anything to earn our way to this table. We don't have 500 good things and, you know, the balance is the 400 bad things. No, we come to this table as broken people, but we know that we are forgiven. We are forgiven. That's what grace is. You don't have to do all these good things. You know, it's, we do good things because we are loved, not to earn our way to be loved. It's out of love that we express that joy, that grace, that, that love together. And so Jesus knew that best of all because he called together a whole group of disciples from all different backgrounds, all different places that had all different things going on in their lives. Some who were very, very worried about what this Jesus guy was doing. They didn't fully understand who he was, but yet they followed. And so it came on three years that they followed him to a night, a night that they would remember for the rest of their lives. And I remember, I assure that as they were gathered around that table, they had all kinds of memories, all those movies running through their minds of the times that they had been with him. And, and one of those was a time that Jesus very simply taught them to pray, as we talked about earlier, being intentional about praying. And so we're going to share together in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For in thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.